Hey guys, welcome back to Unwatchable. This is Brent, your affable host and movie buff, here with another episode for you. Sorry for the long wait on this one. Uh, several pretty big events all happened at the same time, which delayed my editing process for this episode. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a professional potter, so I've still got to work. But you can change that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash unwatchablepod and making any donation you feel we deserve to keep delivering great content at a rapid speed that you all demand and love, I'm sure. So a couple of notes on this episode. First of all, I apologise for the audio quality. Uh, a few technical issues meant all we had to work with was the audio from the Skype recording <laughs> that we did, so we don't sound as wonderful and crisp as usual. Uh, secondly, we decided it would be worth everyone's while if we split this episode up into two longer parts rather than trying to cram the great content we had into 45-ish minutes. Part two will be out next week, so you won't have to wait too long for those sweet, sweet ear listens. Our guest, producer Michael Facey, provided some great insight from another point of view, as obviously Corey, Ben and I generally look at storytelling and what we and audiences can see on screen when we critique these films. So having a producer on board go over some of the behind-the-scenes stuff was great, and I feel it's very worthwhile for any film student or prospective filmmaker or anyone who cares, really, uh, worth hearing. Also, it's kind of just fun listening to Corey froth over a movie for like two hours. Anyway... Here's Annihilation, part one. To Unwatchable, the podcast where we examine cinema's biggest flops, be they commercial or critical, and take a deep dive into that big question, why? I'm here as always with filmmaker Corey, Friday Night's All Right for Fighting, Ray Mackey. <laughs> Hi everyone. And filmmaker Ben, Friday Night's All Right for Sleeping, Norris. Oh uh, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, what? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and this one I'm very excited about, uh, we've got acclaimed producer Michael Facey. Hey... Hey guys, and acclaimed? Come on. <laughs> You're acclaimed in my books. <laughs> Michael is a graduate of the Perth School of Art, Design and Media and the prestigious WA Screen Academy. He's produced a number of award-winning short films that have screened at film festivals in Australia and internationally. And his short film, Kanauna, won the Special Jury Award at the Canada International Film Festival and was one of the first Australian films ever selected to screen at the Cyprus International Film Festival. So I'm a bit jealous. Damn. Ooh. Now we're pretty happy about that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that played for about five years, that short film. Very happy Dang. with it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Michael yeah, also think, um, was a bit of a guest lecturer, uh, I believe, for us uh, during a couple of our classes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Brent and I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, oh, that's going back a couple it of years. It is now. going back. I'm feeling uh, very It's gone back too many years. Let's just pretend it never Let's happened. Let's just skip okay. that. <laughs> Brent should edit that out, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's erase that cool. from the book. It's cool. <laughs> yep. So, Michael, I know you're back at work now. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're working on, or is it all a bit hush-hush? Um, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of both. I mean, it's we've been busy at work developing new projects, uh, especially in the feature film space. Uh, so I've got I've got a book that we're working on adapting. Um, uh, we have our sci-fi horror comedy that we've been working on for many years that we're close to closing the finance on. Uh, and then yeah, just trying to 
get as many projects developed and ready to go to hit the ground running and um, come out of this pandemic with content. Awesome. Amazing. So you go on the old Christopher Nolan, reveal nothing, <laughs> make, <laughs> well, make millions. There's no point announcing something until you can announce something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. I mean, we've got, uh, we're working on a lot of things, but until we close all the money and are ready to start, we're really just... We don't have anything. You go, and then it's like you have a, you're making a false announcement. Then you've got to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> back on it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, like calling uh, off a wedding or something. Yeah, well, it's like when, when we were successful with the West Coast Visions investment um, five years ago. Now, mm-hmm. uh, all the press that that, that generated, um, and then it's when you go five years later. Oh, you're still working on the same project? Like what? Mm. <laughs> so it's sort of like, yo, yeah, shit. That the announcements can work against you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so how have you found, like, the pandemic has affected getting finance from uh, um, resources, I guess? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, at the start of it, it everything shut down. I mean, that just was the, the biggest challenge is that nothing could happen. Yeah, no money. Um, mm-hmm. uh, whereas now, I mean, look at it now, WA has just gone nine months without a, without a community case. So we uh, have been focused. Yes, Hooray. exactly. Um, you know, we did our hard lockdown of six weeks, didn't we, in, in from March? It was the worst six weeks of my life. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> some, some of us did. Some of us still had to go back to go to work because we, 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 we were considered essential workers. And that, you know, and that sort of became the big challenge is when you all of a sudden, you know, you can't go to overeast, you can't go anywhere, uh, you can't work. Um, yeah. So then sort of, you know, you, you, you're stuck at home, which... Um, for some people, it's a nightmare, <laughs> but you you embrace it, and then you using technology to keep working because it's like, well, what do, what do I do? How do I fill my days? I can't sit yeah, here yeah. and watch Netflix all day long. I mean, not for six weeks anyway. I definitely yeah, did that. Yeah, but um, I'm I'm a bit hyperactive. I've got to be doing something. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, I could sit there with the PlayStation, but at the same time, I'm feeling like I'm wasting time. <laughs> Um, the guilt so it, just starts to set in of just like, oh, God, what am I doing? Yeah. yeah. Like, I should be more productive. But yeah. I, I, I try to find, I guess, you know, moments to just allow myself to rest yes. during that time because it's like this enforced time off. It's like, okay, maybe yeah. it's okay just to catch up on, you know, yeah. that that Bergman Criterion Collection set that I've yet to go through, you know, and just like catch up on all these classic films that I've yet to see. Mm. Um, so I, I try to almost like, you know, embrace it during the time where we had to stand down from our jobs those who had to anyway yeah and then there. there's uh essential worker ben who was what what what's Still a lockdown <laughs> yeah that's a lockdown if, if anything if anything i was working harder yeah right <laughs> during that time. oh no uh, salute you and those taxes you're one of the champions of the people because, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't do it i couldn't do it i um i have like a zero tolerance policy for dickheads or idiots um, so yeah. I, I couldn't do your job i'd um i'd be sacked within an hour is that a rule oh, look to be honest i'm i'm surprised your... i haven't been sacked either so you know <laughs> is that no dickheads rule like a, a rule that you would um, enforce in your sets michael or on well, your cruise? Is that something that you try to set from the top down? You always <laughs> want to work with people you want to work with. Absolutely. Uh, and you're going to have personality clashes anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you you know, you find ways to work together. Um, mm-hmm. But let's face it, if someone's an asshole, you don't want them around. Yeah. No matter how good they are, they could be the best uh, whatever in the world in their profession. 
But if they're a dickhead and an asshole, what's the point? Life's too short. Exactly. I mean, filmmaking is already so difficult. It's so hard to make anything good in the first yeah. place. That's and it. so you might as well make the process just that much more pleasant yeah. by surrounding yourself with people who want the same thing as you, but are That's also true. just lovely, nice, kind people as yeah. well. Well, you know, people that want to be there. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it's thing to work for a paycheck. I mean, we all have to do it. Yeah. But we are incredibly lucky, too, to have a profession where we get to do something that we love. And, yeah. you know, why, why would you want to tarnish and ruin that by having, you know, putting up with people you shouldn't have to put up with? I mean, I think we've all got to remember is that when we're on a set, we are, we're making make-believe. Yeah. Um, what we're, we're playing not, imagination. Yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not doing brain surgery. Yes. We're not Thank saving you lives. That. Thank you for uh, saying we, that. We yeah. are uh, creating entertainment. Yeah. Yep. And if we're not having fun while we're doing it, we're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, why are you doing we, it? We, yeah. We've all been on horrible sets where you've had, had a bad day and everything's gone wrong. I mean, I've had that as a producer where you've got unhappy actors, unhappy crew, and just every fucking possible thing that could go wrong did. <laughs> um, but I still look back at that and go, God, that was a great time of my life. Yeah, uh, it's something um, that you want to struggle through. Cause, oh, yeah. 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 And, it's like, yeah, that's a good yeah, struggle. Don't it's something that I'm... Exactly. Yeah. It's something that I want to struggle through because I think that yeah. it's worth it and That's, enjoyable. Yeah. And, and I was like, look, my student film is terrible. It's awful. Like, I don't want to see it again, but I'm glad that it was like terrible and yeah. awful because yeah. it made me really have to align myself with what I want to be saying yeah. in life and, and the stories I want to be telling. Like, it was a, a very humbling moment because I think every film student is probably very arrogant. They think they know everything. <laughs> They think they until know they how make, to, until, until they, they make, make a film, a movie. and then they're like, yeah. "Oh God, that's." that's and you know what? Yeah. It'll, 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 it'll never change as well. <laughs> yeah. We always think yeah. that until yeah. yeah. we realize we don't, then we'll think it again. And then eventually, you can make a movie like this one, Annihilation. <laughs> oh. Yes. Oh, wouldn't so that that's a segue? Lovely. What a segue! Okay. What a segue! Yeah. I know, right? What a great I've been sitting on it. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you were waiting for just the right moment for that one. Yeah, uh, 88% Rotten Tomatoes. It made $43 million at the box office against the production budget. Somewhere around uh, 40 to $55 million. It's reported a bit different. But it was famously defended by producer Scott Rudin after yeah. poorly received test screenings, led financiers and producers at Skydance Media who were demanding wholesale change. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rudin held final cut privilege and knows a masterpiece when he sees one. Right. <laughs> he ignored all notes from other producers and told Alex Garland the film is perfect just the way it is. Thank you, Scott. That's it. Well, that's Scott's what... the real hero of, of the movie. <laughs> How would you feel biggest... being Alex Garland in that scenario? Having yeah, everyone it's... tell you that it's that you need these changes because it's just trash yeah. and there's one guy who's like who's in, in your corner going no nah, man don't worry about it yeah i was we initially thinking like oh very ballsy by scott rudin and i was like hang on it's scott rudin it's, yeah scott rudin it's <laughs> like he's just lady. holding up his awards yeah. like you know what i think the movie's fine the way it is yeah and thank god he did kind of stick yeah. to his guns mm. and by proxy i guess alex garland's guns as well yeah. even though that meant that this film did not receive an international theatrical release mm. But did it deserve to get an international theatrical release? It did. It did. We'll yeah. dive in. We'll dive into that. I mean, hold, 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 hold our horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here I am trying we'll to. We'll let Brent do his intro. <laughs> yeah. This is the last I'm going to speak, okay? For like <laughs> so 
So Annihilation, it's part sci-fi, horror, body horror, thriller, adventure, drama, mystery. Is there any other genre that I've missed? Uh, <laughs> it's mick horror. I mean, look, it's, it's kind of a combination. Yeah, I was going mean, to say yeah, cosmic. Basically refracts genres as well as its mysterious shimmer refracts DNA. Ooh, hey, you know how long it took me nice to that. <laughs> I was up all night. That was great. Uh, so I don't want to give too much away because it is one of those films that it's probably more enjoyable the less you know going in. Absolutely. But Natalie yeah, Portman plays. You don't even want to watch the trailer for. Yeah, which I didn't. So good for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Natalie Portman plays Lena. She's a member of an all-female team of scientists investigating a mysterious shimmer. They call it a shimmer, uh, in which multiple military expeditions have entered but never returned. Uh, it's a film which has been described as a visceral sensory experience, with experience which makes the skin crawl, literally. Triumphant, devastating, and unknowable, and absolutely overwhelming, but also numbingly ludicrous, bleak and cryptic, and pretty but kind of grueling. Mm. <laughs> so it's hard to say it divided critics because 88% liked it, but the ones that didn't like it really didn't like it. Right. So it's sort of divided in that sense where you either like this movie or you just sit there like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> kind of like when you watch a Kubrick movie. Yeah. 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 Love yeah. it or you're like, man, I... waste of time. <laughs> I mean, those people who think it's a waste of time are wrong, but they're entitled to their Yeah, opinion. but, you know, mm-hmm. they're yeah. about to find out why. Yeah. Um, so I'm super keen to hear from Michael on this, uh, mostly because you're our guest, but also because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure people are sick of just hearing from us three all the time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, people tuning into every episode like, damn it, I hate these guys. Oh, yeah, that's when right. going to put on Michael? They, they tune in every fortnight because now they hate you guys. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just yeah. tired of us. They're probably thinking, oh, get this idiot off, off the air and uh, we'll stick with the original guys. Where's yeah. Spielberg? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get him on the tour. Get him on the pod. So, what uh, what were your initial thoughts on the film? Uh, subsequent thoughts later on, I guess, because it's a pretty abstract movie at times. Oh, very, very. Uh, possible rewatches if you've watched it a few times, and ultimately, probably an easy question to answer. But coming from a film producer yourself, like, why do you think the movie failed to connect with a, a larger audience? Right. Uh, yeah, well, it's definitely one of my favourite films of 2018, uh, and I, I loved it. It was a film that challenged me and didn't give me the answers I wanted, and sometimes that's just something I enjoy. Um, now, as to why it failed, um, it's being such an abstract film with all of its dreamlike qualities, it was never going to connect with a mass mainstream audience that is used to being drip-fed all their information. I mean, yeah. I think with its release, it was up against Black Panther at the time. Oh, God. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> and, and let's oh, face it. Black Panther, great, you know, good film. Good, very enjoyable movie. Um, but it's not cerebral sci-fi. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Black Panther's your sugar hit. Yeah, all uh, questions uh, are answered in Black yeah. Panther. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very clear antagonists and motivations and, yeah. you know, very clear it, ending it to that. It tells you how yeah. to feel and tells you what everything you need to know and then some extra on top, mm-hmm. um, and it emotionally strings you along. Whereas Annihilation made you work with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, your main protagonist isn't the most sympathetic, and I think that is no one of the big notes that came from uh, Alison from Skydance. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. she's not uh, sympathetic she's not. enough. Yeah, and the ending's difficult. 
Um, you know, I mean, again, I love the film, but mm. everything about it challenged you, and you a lot more of the time you're wondering what is going on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But you just get drawn in and captivated by that, and you and you're searching for the answers, and you're trying to interpret. Uh, what's happening on screen or what you're hearing to a theory as to what's happening. And that's probably why it's so dreamlike because, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's challenging sci-fi and that's always going to be a tough sell for an audience like like Blade Runner um, mm-hmm. on yeah. the yeah. original film yeah. and also the the quasi-sequel um, that was released. Um, again, was it was it for a mainstream audience? Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, certainly not. And and then you look at its release. You go, okay. If it say, let's say, let's round it up to sixty million as a budget, because a lot of the times the Americans don't count in their overheads or financing charges. Sure. Um. So um. It what well, did what forty million across three countries? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was forty three. I think was the domestic, but the international yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't huge anyway. Yeah. So theatrical was Canada. US. Oh, yeah, worldwide total of 43.1, yeah. so did 32 in the US. So, yeah, right, released right. in three countries theatrically. Yeah. Now, yeah. on a $60 million budget, which is mid-range um, for a studio film, um, or dare say low budget for a studio film, but <laughs> yeah. uh, mid to high range for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, it had a, yeah, released in three countries, so it was never, it never had a chance of uh, making its money. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a mass release across the United States. I think it might have been a bit more limited. I right, yeah. Um, definitely hurt by marketing because how would you market this bloody thing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I really enjoy that first initial teaser trailer. I don't know if you guys recall it, but I felt that the second trailer that they released actually was one of those um, trailers that revealed too much, whereas yeah. the first one, it worked pretty brilliantly as a teaser like it was very dark mysterious and it didn't give you a whole lot but it had this very droning music score to it that felt kind of dangerous um which i kind of loved but again when you're going up against kevin feige and the marvel you know (laughs) machine yeah do you have have much of a chance and then yeah if you marketed it as a horror film you're gonna you know alienate your horror audience when they That's go and true, see true. it yeah. when you go oh it's a sci-fi action film you're going to alienate that audience yeah, yeah. um you know because it's such a blend of all these different things happening that you it can't is, just yeah, go yeah. this is the movie um you know it's not a cookie cutter approach that you can use so the marketing would have been difficult mm-hmm. uh what i would love to know is how much they how much paramount sold it to netflix for i was <laughs> just thinking that as we yeah. were talking about those box office receipts mm-hmm. Like, how much did they get back? Yeah, because yeah. I always sale. like to look at territory sales. I mean, the fact that Netflix pretty much released it worldwide, excluding the three theatrical countries. Yeah. Um, you know, would, would that? how much would they have put up? And, you know, knowing, you know, Scott Rudin and, you know, and the way those guys operate, and especially like David Ellison from Skydance, um, they're going to want to cover their budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, so there could be a chance there that the theatrical receipts they got was their profit. Um, mm. Again, I could be wrong. I just don't have that information in front of me. Mm. But when a film's released across just three countries and then it goes to SFOD at the same time, there's a very strong chance it was a good deal. Yeah, let's get yeah, Netflix well, on the phone. From what yeah. I read. Let's get Netflix, Netflix on the pod. 
from yeah. what I read, Netflix actually chipped in with some of their production financing. So ah, beautiful. part of the deal for them to have international distribution, I guess, yeah. was to right. we'll chip in so we'll get some of the money back. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, obviously they keep a lot of that stuff pretty secretive. They do. They do. And, you know, I, I think because, you know, when it, when it was released, everyone was talking about it for two weeks. Mm. Uh, and it became that, you know, must-see well, film on Netflix because everyone was talking about it on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it definitely had some pretty good word-of-mouth buzz. Uh, would it be a film that you'd want to go and pay to see it at the cinema? Some people, purists, will say yes, uh, yeah, but for yeah. a mass audience... We'd all say yes, but... It'd yeah. be different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. When you, when you go to the movies, you know, and you look at, you know, it's $20 for a ticket... You know, 50 bucks for some popcorn and some soda. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's not an yeah. exaggeration, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's Literally. if you're going on your own. 100 bucks for uh, some M&Ms. Yeah. And <laughs> Maltesers. Um, and, I mean, I'm, I'm probably pretty guilty of this, but sort of go, if I'm dropping 100 $200 to go sit in the dark room for an hour and a half, I kind of want to go on a ride. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, and if they have the choice between Black Panther or Annihilation, uh, for your value for money for that sugar hit of entertainment, you're going to choose Black Panther. Um, yeah, I feel uh, super guilty now because I saw Black Panther twice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you should. Yeah, whereas uh, <laughs> Annihilation, I don't think it came to cinemas here. So uh, um, it didn't. Uh, it was uh, US, Canada, and China. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what, watching it at home, I don't feel so bad that I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that but, was like no one went and saw Dread and all three of us were oh, guilty of not having gone seen it. No, yeah. yeah. Like, we yeah. love this movie. Why did it fail? None of us contributed <laughs> to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe about 20 bucks would have helped, you know. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, Maybe oh, Alex Garland would, you know, have been in a better position because, you know, as, as we, if you remember from that episode, um, we talked about how he was actually, according to Carl Urban, like the real director of that film, the director. even though yeah. he wasn't credited as such. Um, he was the writer and then had to kind of come in during production, I guess, to really correct that that ship, I guess. So, And then followed up with Ex Machina, which I think is just an amazing gateway sci-fi film you know for people oh, who for oh, anyone who's like i don't like sci-fi and i'm like just okay fucking let's just, just sit down and we'll watch x marketer yeah, you know what? and then and then annihilation kind of it's very clearly the same vision i think and the same team of like alex garland and his cinematographer rob hardy like there's so much of that same dna there but it's also a bit of a left turn from yeah. that like from x machina into annihilation where he described the film that he wanted it to go from suburbia to psychedelia. And I think he was incredibly successful in achieving that, as you were saying, Michael, that dreamlike quality um, there with the film. But I'm very curious to hear from Ben about his feelings of the film, because from what I understand, when we were talking a week ago in lead up to this mm -hmm. podcast, Ben had not seen Annihilation. Oh, no, that. I hadn't. I, I had. I've seen it now, obviously. Yeah. Yes, oh. of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, what are we talking about? The first few shots, first few scenes of Annihilation, I did sort of. I was worried that uh, it was another sort of low budget, independent sci fi film that 
looks like it was filmed 15 years ago kind of thing with right. the sort of soft lighting that a lot of the sort of scenes had, especially with the introduction to the shimmer and all that. But that was quickly just thrown to the side as the film kept <laughs> progressing. And yeah, like uh, it's already been mentioned, you know, it, it doesn't tell you much at all. It's either going to show you or you're going to have to figure it out yourself, mm. which is exactly what you want in a film the last film we were talking about was john carter and like we've it's already been mentioned you know that does sort of just throw everything at you no matter even if you don't want it whereas annihilation is the complete opposite it just sort of goes "Mm, nah if i want to tell you if i want to express something i will otherwise i you know it's up to you to to feel it the the fact that the one of the critical plot points in that film isn't really you don't really know what it is until two thirds of the way through the film mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. They kind I of drip that. feed you that information, yeah. but yeah. you don't really get that clarity until two thirds of the way in the film. Like, Oh, this is the journey that she's going. Yeah. This is what all these references like to. I, I owe him kind you're of. You're taking, yeah. you're taking that journey, not just with Lena, but with, um, Oh, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Oscar Isaac's character. Kane. Yeah, Kane. Kane. Yeah. Thank you, Kane. Uh, it's the same. It's almost like a, a, an emotional journey with Kane as well as you're yeah. finding out the character of Lena. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what I did like, even in the writing, there are like sort of mini expo dumps where there is stuff that we do need to catch up on. But the performances are there. They're, like the cinematography is there. And there's usually they're still maintaining that sort of sense of tension underneath. Mm. And I made the parallel to Jupiter Ascending where Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis are sitting in that apartment building and he just talks to her for five minutes about what's going on in the world. And you're just <laughs> sitting there like, I don't actually care. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Whereas Shepard and yep. Lena are, you know, rowing in their canoes or kayaks, whatever they are. I'm not a I'm not a shipbuilding expert, <laughs> but you know they they're crossing that river and the whole time yeah, I'm sitting yeah. there like I don't know if I should be terrified. Like how brave yeah. are you guys? You just like killed a giant alligator thing, <laughs> but you're going in the water anyway. Yeah, it's like, and then there's that the there? mini expo dump about you know Josie's got a history of self harm. Arnie's a yeah. drug addict. Like we're all here for a reason. But the performances are there and that tension of like man, these people are going to die at any moment, and they're just talking about yeah, like. Yeah. The expo like, dump doesn't feel like a into dump. into an unknown. You yes, know? Exactly. like and so or, like everything just has this tension just underneath it. Yeah. It's, um, it's sort of subtly telling you why they're all fine being in the water after just taking out an alligator of that size. Mm-hmm. It's basically yeah, saying why they're all there in the first place. Well, yeah, it's supposed yeah. to like don't, you, you guys clearly have a death wish. Well, yes, we do, and this is why. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that this film is so successful for me just because, and I I think it's something that honestly, I can't think of many stories that wouldn't benefit from this is just having a sense of mystery driving it like in every scene and moment. And I think every story benefits, even if it's not a quote unquote mystery film. If you inject with every scene a question, what is that in the distance? What is this thing that we have to, Mm. I guess, get to like, everything becomes more interesting for me. Like I just lean into the film more. Yeah. Like if you actually withhold some information from me, you give me just enough that I'm going to actually lean in and engage in it. And it it, it might be more of an intellectual engagement. I think Annihilation is a film that for the first two thirds for me, anyway, when I first watched it, it was clicking more on an intellectual level than it was emotionally. But then it gets to a certain point. Yeah 
in the film at the beginning, I think, of the third act, and we'll talk about it maybe a bit later, where it really then kind of struck me to my core, and then the film like unlocked itself to me. And I think that it was so successful because it actually, I think this was the intention, I'm not too sure, but I think it was, was to withhold this information for as long as it could to stretch out that tension as much as possible. And then just when it's got you where it wants you, it then kind of drops that reveal yeah. on you and you understand where the characters are coming from and why they've made this journey. It's and almost- at that point, you're invested in those characters as well. You've been mm-hmm. on this journey with them, experienced yeah. all these things with them for the first time. Yeah. And it's like they're trying to figure out what's going on. So are you. Uh, and so you had to have that connection to them, and that's that's why that works when you get to that point. Yeah, it's it's it is like as you I think I think you said Brent that sort of Kubrickian thing of like yeah. having a slightly detached uh, visual format um, mm. as well, like where you know you have that you could have that very Spielbergian, like you're in the moment, like it's very yeah. subjective filmmaking um, with, with Spielberg. And then you kind of have on the other end, you sort of uh, Spielbergian, or even I guess maybe we, we can compare this film to like Andre Tarkovsky because there's lots of, you know, stalker, um, I guess, parallels as well with a group of people going into a zone. Um, yeah. You know, it's very clear if, if you've seen Tarkovsky's talker that that, if anything, if they were making references to, other cinema was was probably an influence but that whole thing of just having a slightly detached camera i think is not necessarily a bad thing but it's also not something that i think modern audiences are accustomed to anymore because of mainstream blockbuster cinema where it is about aligning you always with your protagonist yeah. and where they're at and the emotionality of, of of the moment and what they want and their motivations, whereas Annihilation doesn't do that. It kind of positions you a little bit further back. You're kind of unsure what Lena's motivations are. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is, this is actually a story dealing with shame and self-destruction. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't quite know that until a little bit later in the film. But then, in my opinion, kind of crescendos into, I think, one of my favorite endings of the last of what of that decade of films like just absolutely stunning we could discuss themes all day like i was saying to um michael early on like last night i was because i watched it yesterday yeah. and i had to i kept getting interrupted so i had to watch it in blocks took me like five hours but i felt <laughs> like that helped because i could detach and sort sure. of look at it with the critical eye which is, was the intent mm. but i was like okay i'm just going to write down you know a few things what i think it's about and then I'll, you know, um, mm. expand on them tomorrow. And then I've written like two pages of what I, <laughs> what I feel it's about. So I'm sure, like, that's probably the intention. Like, no doubt that there's, yes. yeah. it is so ambiguous. You can, you can take away two or three themes, and that's what the movie's about. And then I could take away two or three, and the movie's still about that. Yeah. So, like you're saying, it's about shame and self destruction. And obviously, self destruction is the the in your face mm. one that yeah. mentioned yeah. a few times. But then there's also, you know, grief, depression, yes, yes. identity, self like to me, self yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. death, the afterlife, yeah. like what does happen to us when we die? Yeah, it's um, definitely the big one there, I think, for me. Um, grief. Yeah, grief. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, the whole thing is basically like going through the seven stages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I did, I did get a little bit of the... Yeah, I did get a little bit of like uh, that, uh, the theme of um, of not so much death but transition, 
mm-hmm. of yeah. you know yeah. how yeah. how how each person faces their own uh their own mortality but also their own changes in themselves and the inevitable massive change at the end of it all yeah, yeah well, um, i like i like that because lena does say you know cells don't die they they transform they exactly, yeah. transform yeah but um feel like i was watching the movie i was reminded so much of apocalypse now and the book that that's mm. based off part oh, of darkness yeah <laughs> not just yeah, yeah not just the cinematography but like that mental decay Mm-hmm. And like the deeper you go in, yeah, the, your grip on sanity or what is reality just sort of weakens, and the yeah. louder your nightmares become. Yeah, well, I mean, the film yeah. does does the, the the work early on to um, establish that what you're seeing is not necessarily reliable. Yeah. You know, like there's that mm-hmm. great transition when the they, story. yeah, like it opens up with her basically being like, I don't know, <laughs> like to. Yeah. And it ends with, with her saying, I don't know, to all the questions that the um, one of the scientists are trying to get out of her about her experience within the shimmer. But, yeah, that great moment when they're they're all, I guess, walking across the paddock to then or the field to go into the shimmer. Mm. We hard cut to the title. It says the shimmer. And then we we see them uh, waking up or see Lena kind of several waking up later. several no. days later with no memory of what happened over the previous days. Yeah, um, we're not it's sure. Kind of, yeah. And that, was, um, the, I guess, the mini flashback of her yes. sleeping with her yeah. co-worker, we're not sure at that point if that's... We're not sure where a it memory, is. A memory, a dream, or, yeah. a vision, yeah. like... And that's... I, I liked that. Yeah. yeah. Sort of sitting there like, what was that? Yes, like where <laughs> in the timeline of the story is this taking place? Because we sort of met him earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah. But, or is it like, taking place? Is it just taking place in our, yeah. in our mind? Like, you just don't know. Yeah, it has a very dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. Mm. I was actually sort of thinking of the movie Doom. Not like that's a great movie or anything, but I guess this movie sort of sets itself up essentially a, a play on those kind of films. Mm. Uh, it's a complete gender reversal. And Doom, mm-hmm. for me, was, you know, this group of group of space marines essentially goes to a planet to investigate this i think it's a from memory like a science space station yeah and they've all just been eaten by they've opened like a wormhole and they've all been eaten by aliens basically and they have to go there and figure out what's going on <laughs> so that that plot element very similar in the complete gender reversal where it's all women yeah um and even like the the biggest fourth wall break in this movie when um, Anya picks up the, the gun in the um, the big mess hall and she's like, yep, yeah, that's yep. it. And then that's <laughs> too heavy and then puts it down. And it's like those yeah. kind of movies where you know, even like AVP, yeah. you've always got that one guy with that massive gun. Yeah. <laughs> and I just yeah, thought, yeah, true, true. You know, a loose connection, but I kept thinking of Doom and how it's sort of like the exact opposite of, and I guess kind of taking a dig at those, those sort of movies. Yeah. Even though... It's got that very simple plot element, essentially the same. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and it is a very simple plot. It's the the whole yeah, goal is down. to get yeah. to the lighthouse, you know, yeah. find out what is at the source of, I guess, where this comet landed. But the journey there is that you know that heart of darkness, like kind of style thing of going yeah. down river at times, and um, yeah. things just becoming more and more surreal as they get to the heart or you know to the source of this. This, yeah. this growing alien, you know, as one, I guess, character calls, like, this sort of growing cancerous um, area 
in Florida, yeah. I think it is. And um, what we experience along the way just becomes more horrific and at times more beautiful. And mm. there's just imagery in this film that has stayed with me for a very long time. Mm. Um, it has imagery that I hope to one day be able to have the skill set <laughs> to, to be able to make something as interesting and, and engaging as that and just as uh, memorable for me. Um, and yeah, like it's not a perfect movie that, that, that there are things that I could pick apart. Sure. In the film, but there's yeah. just something about the tone and the feeling of this film that just hits me in all the right ways. The score is stunning. Like, Oh, it's I, beautiful. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a type of score because during lockdown, me and my housemate were like writing this little sci-fi kind of like drama slash horror slash thriller script, I guess. And we just had the annihilation score like just playing on loop as we were developing and writing the script. And it was just kind of so perfect for putting us in that, that headspace. So yeah. definitely Lovely. Th this film, I think has become very important to me as far as that particular decade of films, especially and just yeah. science fiction filmmaking in general. Yeah. Mm. Like I liked your, your point about like the film is imperfect and ultimately like we're not here to sort of pick apart and nitpick mm. every single thing in every single movie. Otherwise, you can make any movie look yep. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but more like, you know, why a movie like this still succeeds with critics and people who are, I guess, open mm. to seeing this this kind mm. of movie. I, I showed a friend of mine, Ex Machina, because she was one of those friends who was like, I don't like sci-fi. I was like, okay, hold my beer. Let's put on, you know, <laughs> 2001, Ex Machina. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go straight into that. End. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we watched Ex, Ex Machina. And she loved it because it's yeah. such a just a tight film, you know, three characters, one location, just a, a really phenomenal kind of like thriller. And then we put on an Annihilation and it's far more ambiguous, <laughs> a lot more surreal. And by the end of it, she was like, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> because, you know, she was yeah. she'd seen Ex Machina, which was it, it was it, it is clearer. And then Ex Machina does go that that 2001 route and i feel like i just want to talk about the ending of this film <laughs> just just so much because it's it's a it's a nearly i think like what 20 to 30 minute nearly dialogue climax, climax yeah, yeah. of nearly dialogue yeah. not entirely where it's it's vision it's it's music mm. it's movement mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's it doesn't clearly tell you what's happening and it's so stunning to me again I, I could talk all day and, and just gush about <laughs> the beauty of where this film goes at the end and just the feelings that come up in me when I'm seeing the lighthouse kind of burn down and seeing these glass trees that are formed out from the sand start to then topple and, and burn as well. Like, it's just, oh, yeah, no, I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the score as well because, like, it's so minimal throughout the film. Like, it's used so sparingly. And then when we get to that end, it's almost, like, anachronistic how bombastic it is when yeah. when this starts. Yeah. But it's it doesn't pull you out of the movie. It drags you in. Absolutely. And so it, far, like, you yeah. can't even get out. And it no. only assists in creating the feeling that you are witnessing something that doesn't feel... I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know that... Like on Netflix, there's that that new show, um, Alien Worlds, where it's like, what if there were uh, animal species that adapted uh, to gravity yes, yes. and stuff like that? And it, it's kind of cool, but I also was watching it, and I couldn't help but feel, and this is an unfair criticism, that a lot of the alien designs, it felt like they were designed by a human being 
who was conceptually drawing. But when I'm watching Annihilation, it does feel like I am watching something that is truly alien and that is unknowable. And um, oh yeah, 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 it just feels like it came from deep, from you know the cosmos, and is always going to be outside of the comprehension of our human intellect. I mean, and our the, the bear or that alligator, it just, I mean. Yeah. That, yeah. that land, I mean, that, I mean, it's all explained in the story why they're like that. But yeah, yeah just I mean, you look at that and you, everything about it looks wrong, mm-hmm. and it yeah. just really tricks your mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but you can't take your eye off it either. So it, it was just a, a work of genius. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that that bear scene as well because that is truly oh, one of the most existentially horrifying yeah. monster yeah. designs period just the screen. very um that the screen. screen oh yeah. my goodness yeah and you talk about imagery and it's good that you tied in the bear mm. because shepherd on her bag carries around a stuffed bear lapel on her God. bag uh, yeah. right. which is likely likely a keepsake of her dead daughters yeah. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah. She's also yeah, yeah. this character. She's also the first to run out and confront the bear thing because mm-hmm. Lena and Ventress are in the watchtower. Yes. Shepard's asleep, she wakes up and she just sprints out there. Yeah. So when it's first heard, she's just up and straight to the bear. Mm-hmm. And um, killed by the bear. Yeah. Yes. Another uh, uh, not just and uh, killed by the bear, but like killed because it ripped her throat out. And what yeah. does the bear? And what does the bear do? Takes a, assumes a dying yeah. words, I suppose. And then also, yeah. and then I, you probably also may have seen this as well. But towards the end of the film, or maybe halfway through as well, Lena on her the left tattoo? arm, the tattoo, right? Yes, the Ouroboros. Ouroboros. Yes, yeah. which is the exact same tattoo that's on Kane's arm. Tank girl, yeah. No, Tank girl. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kane has it as well, doesn't he? He does, does he? at one point, I think, in the in the, the film. I, I think a few of them, you're like, oh, there's that tattoo again. So and there you go. So then I it, think Kane has it in the flashbacks. I think it's like a tattoo he has. Right. And then, yeah, Anya has that tattoo. Anya, that's her name, yes. Yeah, she Tank definitely Anya. has I like that Tank at one point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I just love that, that there are so many creative design decisions in this film that I just they just have so much intention behind them like they're all working in service of these themes and and tackling i guess this particularly emotional journey that these characters are going on where everything it it does fall into that almost lovecraftian cosmic horror element as well like i love the that reveal of the one of the soldiers in the the empty pool i guess at the base where like his legs are going in the wall and then like the top oh. half of his body has been, I guess, dismorphed into and kind of growing out of the wall. Yeah. It's so hard to... It's not even something that you can quickly explain in words. Like, it's something which only, like, cinema can do, right? It's it's horrifying and beautiful at the same time. I was going to say, that, that prop yeah. alone is a work of art. It's oh, fantastic. In and of itself. Like, yeah. you take that out of the film and just put it in a museum <laughs> somewhere, people would stare at that for hours Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, I'd love to have it in my house. (laughs) (laughs) It did actually make me think of Alien a bit. Not so much like... Obviously, the H.R. Geiger-looking weird, ugly design. But also, I guess, the monster within coming out and consuming you. Mm. There's lots of that sort of body horror. Yeah. And and particularly, like, I I think that that 
the entire, uh, you know, um, basement, if we want to call it that, or just the sort of lower part of the lighthouse, the sort of heart of the lighthouse that, that Linda ventures into. Just just big Giga, like, feelings across the board, right? Like, it yeah. just, it, it totally felt like we were walking into the derelict spaceship in Alien. And just in yeah. terms of, of the hallways and, and, and the ridges and the walls um, and everything. And it just, yeah, just truly starts to kind of feel like something unknowable at that point. <laughs>